Well, I mean, that's just one thing about George. I mean, it seems like he's always changed with every time. You know, I mean, the way he does all the Periscope videos. and I mean, he just rolls with whatever. He does. He does. He, 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 is, he told me that he basically is now just now figuring out uh, how to get with this whole Internet thing and, and to sell his music. Because he's who he is. He has a name. But it's still you have to do it the right way, and and uh, he's still accustomed to doing it the 20th century way. You know, the only thing about this different now is how you uh, distribute. If you have the means of distribution, and how, like I said, will you do it uh, from a mass? You know what I mean? Not just ten records here, ten records there. You know, you want to be able to sell worldwide, you know. So I think he's he's figuring it out. Like he, he told me last like I said, who well who who you gonna sign with? Because the record is almost done, uh medicated fraud fraud dog, you know, it's almost done, whereas he getting ready to put it out. And uh I said, Who you gonna sign with? Who you who you working with? Who you gonna do? He said, I ain't, I ain't let nobody have this record. I said, Really? He said, Yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna do it myself. I think I can do it now. I gotta figure out some things. And I was like, okay, you know, if you think you can do it, say, oh no, it's not a problem. And he, he talked about what you just said. It's like, see, what I've done with this periscope, I've allowed people to come in. They've seen me in the studio from the time I started working on the record. And they're gonna see it all the way up until I get finished. That's a new way. That's how I'm marketing now. That is kind of what the A&R men would do, you know, back for a company. But now you have, he goes out every night. Like you said, you've been watching him on Periscope. And every night after his wife does a show, she'll show me. Like, they'll show you how many people uh, tuned in or whatever. And like, what, 30,000 people in a two and a half period time? Two and a half hour period of time to watch that show, to watch our show, you know. At, and she's got her what, a little smartphone, and she's like, that's all she does. She's often set night, up. She just, she's often set up real close to you too. She's off, always over there close to me. <laughs> you know, it's what's really weird about it because, like, after a while, you know. Because I'm coming to work every day, okay? And every city is different. And I don't mind her doing it, but I have to remember, like, I got to still focus in on my job. You know what I mean? Because when she first started doing it, I used to wave, hey, you know? <laughs> now I there's no waving going on. Matter of fact, if I see her coming, I might just turn my back like that or something, but... I love her to death, and, and, and what she's doing is so important to this next record. And it's it got so much to do with the way people are attending the shows now. Um, George is selling out, man. And with Periscope, you can see that the people that are coming to the shows now, like when we first started doing the Shake the Gate stuff, people thought it was the craziest, stupidest shit that we could ever be doing. Now they believe, or they listen to the lyrics. There you go, shake the gate like a motherfucker. So, but the, the 
now I see people come to the show mouthing the lyrics because they know what pole power is. They know what uh, Baby Likes Funkin' It Up is. They, they, they know what these songs are now that we're, we're pulling off live, you know, and um, that's a good thing, you know, and that's one thing that I didn't realize, too, that everything takes time, you know, and Georgia always says, take your time, take your time, because it takes a minute for people to get to, to settle into this new stuff that we're doing. We're doing it so fast and putting it in their face, but, you know, I mean, and some people are just not catching up to, to Polaphone, man. You know, there's a lot of folks that, wow, that's a great album. You know, that but was, it's what that was a great album. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's a great album, Elijah, man. Why you guys have I mean, we went through that period in the 90s, <laughs> but I can understand George being ahead of his time, so far ahead of his time that you know it takes a minute for people to catch up to him. Yeah, there you go right there. You know, and that crazy album cover too, because I thought like, man, he's not done with that one. Yeah, that yeah. Fully operational. That one front to back is amazing. It's, I one of my favorites. I did, I'm a big old, you know, I like the older stuff, but that one, and that that's old now. I mean, I'm talking to a kid that's like 22 and he's never heard it before. He's like, yo, man, I think that's that almost is just great, guys. How come you could do that again, you know? Uh, but I'm glad to be a part of it, man. So it's a big deal, you know, I guess, to be a part of some musical legacy like this, you know? Yeah. I'm going to throw okay. some other records at you. You just tell me, like, what maybe what thought comes to mind, okay? Okay. Because um, I know some of these were important important to you, Lige. Like, um... oh, yeah, Jimmy G and the Tagheads. That record definitely um, was important, too, because Jimmy, um, we were looking at getting behind Jimmy and doing a tour with him with that. He, it, I think that record, George, got it signed to Capitol, right, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, this Capitol. one was Capitol, yeah. Yeah, Capitol. And that was just uh, kind of a spinoff of what he had did with uh, his computer games and stuff. Yeah, Corporated Thang Band. That was another one that Incorporated Thing Band was a group that was derived from Jimmy G and the Tackheads. Okay. George decided, okay, no more Jimmy G and the Tackheads. I'm gonna put another group together. So he went to Andre Fox Williams and asked Andre if he would do it. And then he came to me later, because I was in P Funk already now you know so he said uh you want to do this project with me and i was like what is it you know and then he started telling me about it and he went to the very end of uh his conversation i said who else you got in the band <laughs> he said well i see i got andre fox to do it with you and i'm like oh really <laughs> You know, and I wasn't right off the bat too cracked up about that because Andre kind of came from George's son, Tracy, and they were like Treylude. That was their thing, you know what I mean? But um, I guess he felt, you know, Andre was, was going to be good for this project. So me and him kind of signed with, with this guy from Warner Brothers named Benny Medina, and, you know, that – that was it for Bang Bang. I wish that it would have been a thing where we could have toured with that record. 
It actually blew up in Japan, yeah. but we never did anything with it. You know what I mean? Uh, and George fell out with Benny Medina at that time, a little bit after that. So he never picked up on the, uh, the option to do another record, you know? And um, yeah, that's how that happened, man, you know? I always thought of those records until you started actually releasing some of your own stuff as kind of being, you know, more like your thing than the whole P-Funk thing because you were more prominent on those particular releases. Yeah, yeah. It was something that I definitely, well, in all of the other bands that I have, you know, I have a, a little group here in San Diego called Elijah Curry and the Naked Funk Project. And uh, I'm teaching those guys a lot of that stuff from the, like we do steel tight. Um, I started incorporating steel tight things that I've been doing when I was doing it with this band called the 420 Funk Mob, head up by Cliff Payne. And uh, live, we used to do, um, you know, just little stuff that personally we like. And we, 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 we do that band on the off days. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, right there, man. <laughs> Wow, dude, that's the first one. Wow, where'd you get that, man? I can't even find that no more. I can make you a copy if you need it. I would love a copy of that, man. That's what that was. That particular record was the record that they thought that we were going to leave George. Everybody, you know, we had reporters. We played this club in New York called Tramps, and um, we actually opened up for Cameo who needed a support act because they were just coming back into the scene. Larry Blackman had been off for a couple of decades. And uh, we opened up for them and um, we had reporters that night asking us like, now that you guys are gonna leave George, what are you gonna do next? I'm like, no, we're not leaving George, you know what I mean? Who, you know, media is deep because they can put stuff in people's mind and people start believing that shit. Mm. You know what I mean? So. Well, we got them straight, you know. What well, I mean? record labels can do that too. Oh God, they can do it and just <laughs> mess your whole thing up, dude. <laughs> I mean, ah, uh, but you know, you learn as you go. I, I tell all the young ones, man, learn as much about the business of music as you possibly can. You know, you'll find out later on, ninety-nine percent of it is business. You know what you learn now, as far as your craft, it's only going to be one percent of that that you can really like talk about it can i play yeah i can play can you play yeah i can play can you i can't play it. whatever that is that's one percent of it other than that it's like who does this why is this bmi ASCAP, blah 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 it's so much crap that you gotta know you know and then you run into these club owners and these promoters and you gotta find out their shystiness and all of this so you know you, you gotta love what you do love it from inside here because you ain't gonna be able to put up with that e emotionally and mentally you know you you'd be like i'm out of here i'm not putting up with this you know what i mean but that's how a lot of it is just getting used to what the business uh, uh kind of gives you when you you know the cards you dealt you know well that's part of the reason why i backed away from being behind the scenes in the music business you know i just mm -hmm. you know it's like um all nepotism and just so yeah. much BS and yeah, you know, I love the music, you know? Yeah. So it'll yeah. always be close to me that way. Yeah. yeah. 
You know, that's kind of how I was. I, and when we get too far, yeah, drugs, yeah. That was a band, man, that basically drugs, I wasn't supposed to be in that band, you know? Uh, yeah, Clip Payne, we're doing 420 Funk Mile, and I'm thinking we're doing okay. So Clip moves to Woodstock, New York, and uh, he runs into some guys up there, and they start doing this project called Drugs. Now, first of all, I told Clip, I was like, I don't want to be a part of nothing. You're going to call the band Drugs? What are you trying to do? They're instantly going to mess with us wherever we go. Why should you call it something like that? Can it be something other than that? Nope. He wanted drugs. So drugs. That's what it is, you know. And 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 when he first did it, you know, it's like about, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, almost now. And I was like I said, it, it was that time where I felt like I should speak up and say, this is not right. But uh now it's cool. Oh man, the band drugs, yeah, da, 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 you know. But uh, yeah, that's that's Clip Payne with a bunch of Woodstock guys that he know, uh, and then he grabbed Gary Scheider, myself, and him, pretty much, to do uh, that band. You know what I mean? Which is a little bit different than the 420 Funk Mob, you know? Um, yeah, because 420 Funk Mob is more like we featured. Um, stuff from the osmium album you know funky woman and stuff like that older stuff that george don't even do anymore deep catalog tracks yeah yeah and then drugs were more like um original tracks you know we go out and do all of those kind of songs and they were close to funkadelic sounding kind of because gary really put his thing on that record you know well the one track um which one was it deep down in the dumps yeah deep down in the dumps is one that's the one that i played on and they might even gave me a writer credit for that you know i don't know for sure but you mentioned was, uh you mentioned woodstock um were you uh in the band when they did the woodstock revival in 94. yeah so right what, what was that experience like and maybe Lige, if you could just maybe pull out like two or three of your most unforgettable shows you've done as part of P-Funk? Well, that's one of them, the Woodstock. But I'll, I'll, I will say the day before the Woodstock show was even more so one of my favorite shows. Um, we played uh, in a hangar. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with that area up there, Woodstock. Fish kill, all of the cat skill stuff up there. Uh, but we played in a a hangar. It was George's birthday the day before we played Woodstock, and he had a birthday party thrown for him from the people, the committee at Woodstock, and it was like a just like a regular show, but it was the day before we performed, and it was so many people in this place man it was just ridiculous matter of fact i think that show was better than our woodstock show i wish that we almost could have waited for the energy that we had for that show for the woodstock show because we were so hyped you know george was in his like guru mode and he was really 
really happy that he had finally got a chance to do Woodstock before he passed away. You know, he and Bootsy was into this, you know, because they go back to the Jimi Hendrix days and the Sly Stone, and they never done it then, and now they get a chance to do it now. I misspoke. But, I think uh, it was, I think it was actually ninety nine, not ninety four. Okay, okay, yeah, because I remember. After we played, we had to go straight over to Europe and do a show over there and come right back. <laughs> it was the stupidest shit, but we did it. Um, but that was one of one of my favorite shows uh, that I did. Another one was a, a European show. Uh, it's called. Uh, it was a festival called Roskill. It was like um, five hundred thousand people there, man. Wow, and. Um, it was one of them shows we were late. The band was late, but George was, was on time. And uh, <clears throat> he was telling us, he was telling jokes for like an hour or so before we got there, just to keep the audience down. But when we got there, man, playing in front of that many people was just, just magnifying, man. It's just the energy level. You look out, man, like that gig, Roskill, and then the Woodstock thing, it's like a sea of people, man. You know, you don't even see faces. You know, you just see bodies. You know, moving from. But it's just amazing, man, to see. I, you know, I'm a fan of music, and I love to go to concerts. But I would never go to something like that. Mm. Never, yeah. ever. That's too dangerous. It was too stupid for us to even get to where we were trying to get. You know, but it's just if you're that kind of you know, avid concert goer, you know, more power to you. You know what I mean? I'd rather go somewhere where I can actually sit down and watch you. <laughs> you know, I don't like to really go to shows now if I know a band. And for me, standing backstage watching a show, I'm not really with that. You know, I like to watch it and enjoy it, actually. You know what I mean? But nine times out of ten, you know, since I know people in the industry, I'll wind up getting the backstage pass and <laughs> something like that. And I'll go backstage and stand on the side, you know, and watch my favorite musician or whoever, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those are a couple of good shows. As far as a, more of an intimate show, there was a show that, uh, speaking of the uh, drugs band, too, um, <clears throat> it was a show like in 90 eight somewhere around there ah I, I know actually you know this is later now this has to be like in like oh three or oh four and um you know we do bb kings in new york all the time but this was a very special show that night because drugs opened up and we did really really good you know what i mean and the people were into it but when p-funk came out you know, we had like a slew of celebrities come out that night, you know, because whether if we play in L.A. or New York, we can always expect like a bunch of people like coming out stars or whatever. And they want to see George or whatever. But I just remember um, a lot of rappers like from the day when I like uh, Rakim came out, uh, Chuck D. Um, you know, it's it's just a um, uh, Nona Nona Hendrix from LaBelle, uh, just just so many New York people, you know, um, 
Will Calhoun sat in, you know, from Living Color. Yeah. You know, it's just, it was just a great night. You know what I mean? And, and, and when you look around and you say, oh, wow, this guy likes this. Oh, he likes this song. And they, they're all fans, man, of the music, you know. And and I, I really respect that. I, I have to give it up to George for for being such a badass with his music and stuff that attracts so many different styles of people to come out and see his stuff, you know. But I mean, it's so many different uh, situations where I had some great shows, man. You know, uh, I mean, I have fun just every now and then. A couple of New Year's shows, I had a really good time down there. Um, like the last couple of times we played Tipitina's uh, for New Year's Eve, Louisiana, New New Orleans gets New Orleans, stupid, yeah. dude. They just like you could be playing, you could go in, you could start playing in this dark and come out in this light. You know what I mean? That's how long the parties go on in New Orleans. It's just forever, dude. But I always enjoy those kind of, you know, because it's pretty cool that you can drink down there and you can get loose. And New Orleans was loose way before a lot of these other states. You know what I mean? They just like off the chain with the partying. You know, you can walk down the street with drinks and shit. You know, you can't do that in a lot of states, man. You know, they lock you in jail for doing that. You know what I mean? So. But yeah, it's been a it's been a good career, man. With this, I, it's been some ups and it's been some downs, you know. And uh, my mom always told me, like, you know, if you want to keep a good job, you got to be willing to go through, uh, you know, the, all of the things that it entails and stuff, you know. And I always listen to to her words, you know what I mean? Because people ask me, say, like, how did how you stay with this band so long? You know, it's like, well, and another reason why, like, when I got in the band. George was headlining. I didn't really see those poverty days. You know what I mean? So I was blessed. You know, I always talk that, me and uh, Clip Payne always talk about because we came in around the same time. He's still there as well as I am. And we're just blessed to, to, to be able to see it. And now we look at our tenure and we've been here for a while. You know, we've been like the main oil that's been fueling this this mothership for a while now, even more so than a, a Billy bass, you know, cons consistently, we, I've probably been here longer, you know what I mean? Actually, you know, but during the time that they were here, they, they really put their time in and on record, you know, and you can't knock that. I always have to give it up to the people who started it, Bernie and all of those guys. They'll always be in my heart, man, thick in my heart, you know, and I'll go out talking about them as well, you know what I mean, to the next generation, you know what I mean? You know, you know, Live, speaking of next generation, you know, I've seen, if we've been talking, I've been seeing them since the 70s and so many, you know, times throughout all the years. But I had not seen the band for at least five years, might have been longer, until I saw them last year in Charlotte, and then I saw them also this year in Charlotte. And to me, the current lineup is kind of reinvigorated, you know, I think with the youth and uh, I like the way, you know, the set list is getting mixed up and just the whole thing now to me seems like it's gained a little more steam, you know, than maybe was there 10 years ago, say. What do yeah. you think of that? 
I would say that I would say your your analysis is spot on because uh, ten years ago, uh, you know, some of us were still on crack, and some of us were still on heroin. Some of us were still on drugs. Period. I think not that I'm blaming drugs, but when drugs is a part of your makeup for so long, it starts to tear down your infrastructure. You start looking around and you don't see this there, you don't see that there, you know what I mean? And I think that um, George, along with a few of us, made a decision, you know, to stop doing as many drugs as we used to do. And mainly George, you know, because um, he was the last one. He didn't want to give up his habits <laughs> until the doctor started telling him different, you know. So he had to start looking at it. I remember I stopped doing cocaine around uh, 90s, you know, late 90s. Uh, you know, when I got uh, hooked up with Star, me and her, we've been like together for like 20 some years now, but you know, I used to wake up to blood on my pillow and stuff, stu stupid shit like that, you know, and like it would freak her out, you know. She's ah! So just by her getting scared of what was happening to me, scared me because <laughs> I didn't want to keep scaring her. And uh, I stopped, you know what I mean? I stopped doing a lot of crazy stuff. Um, I used to be. I would say a chronic alcoholic as well, you know. Um, I drank and drank and drank, you know, and it wasn't so much of a hard liquor, it was beer. I was just beer out, dude, you know. Like we used to, you know, I got hooked like just funk festivals, man, you know, stuff like that, you know, where he's like, Heineken's big barrels of Heineken's and you trying to drink as much as you can. You just <laughs> so you know, eventually I think with anything things play out. You know, at least it did for me. And uh, then I've seen a couple of my other guys, counterparts, bandmates, whatever, they stopped doing it, you know, and, and you're getting older too, man. You know, you're you're thinking like this can't be good if I keep doing this. You know what I mean? And some people don't make it. You know, we're blessed to still be here. I'm blessed to still be here talking to you now. You know, because of if if, if I'd have kept going into that lane I was in, it wouldn't have been happening. I wouldn't have knew you would have been wearing a Laker cap right now and none of that, you know. So I'm just glad that we weathered, weathered those storms and uh, moved on, you know what I mean? Because that was a time period, man, where... It, it all happened. And see, in those days, too, like, we used to have, like, like it would be dope men showing up at the gig or the hotel before we even get to the city, man. So as much as I like to think we were getting down back in those days, you at, and, and other fans let me know that, okay, they still love us, but to hear you say the comparison of then to now, that makes me feel good because we really did make a conscious effort to try to make it better and make ourselves better because we knew, you know, we got a lot of fans out there and a lot of people still, like I told George, I said, like, you know, 
when do we go out of style? You know, he was like, no, we hot again. We ain't going out of style. And, I, you know, we knew, like, in the 80s, groups like De La Soul, Public Enemy, um, you know, Doc, Dr. Dre, NWA, all of all, they all sampled the music. So the perfect example, when De La Soul did Me, Myself, and I, promoters instantly started trying to find George Clinton. They were like, is he still living? Is he still relevant? Can he work? Blah, blah, blah. So they started looking for us. So he started getting back in the game. Now, we really never stopped, but we just wasn't on those same levels as we was before. You know, so, because hip-hop, it came in and knocked out everything, but the blessing was that hip hop needed James Brown, George Clinton music. They needed that kind of stuff because that's the style of this type of culture of music that they're doing now. Yeah. You know, there's no, there no too many kids going, uh, buying instruments anymore per se and learning how to play them like they were in the 70s and the 80s. The 90s brought on a, the drum machine, you know, the turntable. Everything changed like culturally, you know, when making music. Digital, the format came in, analog was out. So a lot of things changed at that time where we had to adapt and get used to it as well, you know. Um, we, you know, George always knew he had hit records, but were they still relevant? That's what, that was, that was the question with him. So well, he really started like experimenting when you got to stuff like this too. That was the beginning of it because he said when we did that record, we noticed that people were sampling the funk. He says, "Well, we finna sample us too." <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Damn, what is, is that? The Japanese version, or is that uh, the American version? I think it was, like a, it was like a European version or a, a British version, and it was like a Japanese version, and then it was um, an American version. Um. You got some good stuff. I might have got it as an import, but I don't think it's Japanese, not this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you got some. But I did get it when it you know, was first available. Most of the stuff I got when it was very first available. Okay. Yeah. Because my favorite song on that is uh, Fly On. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a song that, that was the first session that I did with Blackbird. Really? Yeah, because Blackbird always played everything he's one of them dudes he played the bass guitars the drums he never really had nobody do nothing with him you know all that sizzling mean and all that stuff he wrote for george and all that stuff it was all him playing so this song was like he decided i'm gonna allow some of the guys in the band to play <laughs> but he was still deep about it i had to play his bass <laughs> I couldn't play my had to play his bass. But anyway, we did that thing, me and uh, Gabe Gonzalez. Because Gabe was in the band at that time. He didn't stay in the band long because he was doing his enemy squad thing. And, um, you know, then then uh, we did it, you know. And that was the first song that Bird opened up and allowed other people to play on his records or his songs. You know, and uh, when we did it, we knew right off the bat it was going to be a good song because, you know, George ran upstairs. He loved it. And 
blah, 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 blah. The rest is history, you know? <laughs> At that time, to me, it was almost like um, this was sort of like a Funkadelic update. And then the uh, Tapoa phone was uh, still the Parliament side. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked at it like that, too. I looked at it like that. Uh, yeah, because George always favored, even though Tapoa phone didn't have as many horns, but it was still Parliament-ish, kind of. You know what I mean? This new one, though, Medicated Fraud Dog, all of those horn lovers that love that Parliament stuff, like, you really gone. And then the way George puts it, like that Trumpibulation thing that you just showed me, that was his last parliament record. This one that he's putting out now, it wasn't, I mean, I don't know. How, when did that come out? That 80 Trumpibulation? From 80 to now, that was that, that's parliament. You know, the one he got it coming out, ain't nothing in between that period, parliament. Not from George Clinton. I don't know what else is going on out here in the world, but that's definitely uh, the next one after part, uh, Trump ebullition. So, you know, I'm pretty you know, excited been, about been it. Waiting for it to waiting drop, you know, it's like uh, taking a while. Well, you know, I know he's he's skeptical like right now. He just don't know. Like I keep telling him, like I say, because he, you know, hip hop is in his world now. He's a part of this whole hip hop thing. So, but I don't want him to put too much hip hop on the Parliament record. And I didn't want to say it like that to him, but you know, since I know hip hop is the style now, now that, but uh, I just don't want to hear hip hop on no Parliament record. The most I don't want to hear no rap really on no Parliament record. But I can't sit up here and tell you, Scott, that he's not gonna have it on there because I know a couple of songs I played on that are hip hop, and I'm like, you gonna put that on the record? He's like, yeah. What you do is you leave the hip hop off the main record, then you let some hip hop get on the remix. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Matter of fact, Scott, I'm a, you know what? I'm gonna bring that up to him. Say, you know what? The fan, a friend of mine, did an interview with him. Oh, we just do all the remixes in hip hop, and then we'll, you know, but you know, George is gonna do what George is gonna do. Period. That's yeah. one thing about him. You're not going to tell him how to make his records. You know what I mean? He's been very successful in the way he's been doing it. So just for, to have a record at 76, he's 76 years old, a new record. Come on, man. Especially with the life he's led. I mean, it's unbelievable. Who does that? <laughs> Here's your cousin. Yeah. Now, I got a co-producing thing on that one. And that was like, he signed with this uh, Japanese label. Yeah, that's a good record, man. I just wish we could have did another one. But it took so much. I had to actually go to his house and sit down with him and listen to, like, he had all these cassettes, man, like, from way back in the day. And he wanted me to listen to every last one of them to see what was salvageable and, and what wasn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I remember we barbecued, we took like a whole weekend and shit, you know, and just went through a lot of stuff. And I was glad to do that. You know, I, it one one record on there I really like, um, uh, what's the one on there that uh, Charlie Wilson did with him? Um, damn, I can't think of it. 
fucking oh shit it's been a while since i yeah it doesn't that. say it on the back wow there's one that that charlie wilson did and belita they're on one of them that george produced it's really a good record too i, I just glad that michael but i i wanted to see michael do more with that record like go out and tour with it but michael's not that type of artist where he's not so much of a solo artist like that you know i remember one time because i was wanting so much for him and he said i don't know if i want to do all of that cuz cuz he was like telling me that you know you know bootsy went through a lot man uh mentally uh trying to be a solo artist ain't the easiest thing i'll just leave it there you know it's just too much responsibility sometimes on some people and some people are geared to take that kind of pressure some people just can't do it. And, uh, Mike Mike was always my personal favorite P funk guitar player because oh, you know oh, I, ca I I came into it, my first funkadelic record was Hardcore Jollies, and then nice. I moved and I moved back from there. Okay, but um, yeah. you know I yeah. was playing on One Nation, um, yeah. and uh, some of those uh, clips from back then at the like Capitol Center. Yeah, when he's doing uh, Maggot Brain. Uh, I like a lot of the recordings. I like like a lot of people think that's him on shit, goddamn, but that ain't him. But he had to learn it like that. But when it came to other stuff like butt to butt resuscitation and stuff like that, he killed. Like Michael just well, you you knew it was not Eddie Hazel. <laughs> you knew it wasn't that guy. You know, and George had found some kid that was just a monster. You know what I mean? At that time, you know, we're not kids anymore. You know what I mean? He's 61, I'm 61, so we're up there now, you know. Where's but the time go, man? Where's the time go? Oh, time is gone, dude. Oh, man. There you go, man. Introspective. Wow. That was my first solo album. Yep, that's it. Overton Lloyd did that. That uh, portrait of me. You know, I had to have him. But that was the one that, that, when I did that record, Analog was still in, you know. Uh, part, part of that stuff, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's another one, man. God, you got them all, dude. <laughs> that's great, man. That's great to know people out there love funk the way they do, you know what I mean? I'm glad I picked this type of music. My mother said, I never thought you would be involved in this type of music. She played blues all the time around me. She thought I was going to end up with somebody, you know, play with Johnny Taylor or some shit, you know. But, um, yeah, I'm glad I made the choice, man. Doing these kind of interviews just remind me. You know. 